Champagne Collecting and Collaboration, an audio drama based on true events by Hilary Kaiser. Money talks; it can shut people up, even the press. I learned that very quickly when I was a young reporter at the San Francisco Chronicle and met with socialite and notorious patron of the arts Florence Gould. But my story really begins at the Patio Villa in Cannes in the early 1970s. Entree. Ah, there you are, Marcel. Any more news from the police? Madame, they got in from up there, low, uh, through that trap, the hatch on the ceiling. They must gone out that way too, anyway. That's what the police said. And stupid me, I left all my jewels here on my vanity table instead of in the safe, because I was going to the gala later tonight. Now let me see, what's missing? Oh dear. The sapphire and diamond necklace that Frank gave me. Oh no, I can't believe it. They took my pearls too. I'm so sorry, Madame. It's not that they were worth more than the sapphires and diamonds. It's well, it's because I loved those pearls and wore that necklace every day. I understand, Madame. It's amazing they didn't take some pieces of artwork too. This little sketch by Bonadid's worth a fortune. I know, Madame. And and how is Elsa, Marcel? Is is she all right? I can't believe they tied her up and gagged her. And they were carrying guns. Oui, Madame. Elsa is completely bouleversée. The doctor gave her a sedative. She's up in her room sleeping. Poor Elsa. I'll go and see her when she wakes up. It must have been such a shock for her to find them here, here in my bedroom. It was. She said the three men were dressed in black and wearing masks. (gasps) Oh, that's horrible. Sounds like one of those Pink Panther films. I just can't believe this happened, Marcel. I don't want to feel unsafe here at the villa. I, I must sit down. And I need a drink. Please get me some champagne, will you? Bien sûr, madame. Shall I answer, madame? Oh, oui. S'il vous plaît, Marcel. Hello? Who may I say is calling? Un moment, s'il vous plaît. It's a man's voice, madame. He won't give his name, but he says it's very important. He says it's about the jewels. Oh, donnez-moi le téléphone, Marcel. Hello? Oui? I am Madame Gold. You want... 
a ransom, a, a, a ransom of 500,000 francs? You must be crazy. I shall never pay anyone to get back my jewels. You have contaminated them. I don't want them back. They were a gift. What? How dare you insult me? No, no, I wasn't a carabo. Go rot in hell. Marcel, please go get that champagne, all right? Of course, madame. Of course, I knew nothing about this robbery at the time. But a few years later, in early November 1974 to be exact, Herb, a veteran columnist at the San Francisco Chronicle, came into my office with some very exciting news. Ah, there you are, Pat. I've just come from upstairs. Sam has given you and me a joint assignment. Really? It'll be the first time we've worked together. I feel honored. You're the star columnist at the Chronicle. People even call you Mr. San Francisco. I'm just a newbie. Don't be so modest. You did a damn good job at the call bulletin as a reporter and critic. Yeah, but I was working under someone else. I'm so excited that the Chronicle has given me my own column. But it's a society column. And I never even used to read them before. You'll do fine. You're the perfect person to cover the social events, the benefits and fundraisers. You've got all the right connections in the city. And I'm sure you'll get some good interviews. You grew up among the movers and shakers of San Francisco. You understand them. Just as you do. Yeah, I guess so. I've been here long enough by now. Came here from Sacramento in 1936, but I consider San Francisco my hometown, especially since my parents said I was conceived here. (laughs) Well, that certainly makes you a native San Franciscan. Anyway, even though my columns often talk about San Francisco society and local gossip, what I'm really interested in is its popular culture, politics, and what makes this city tick. I know you are. And you write about all that in such a clever and humoristic way. Sometimes humor is the best way to make people think about the serious stuff. I remember a piece I wrote in the 60s. I went down to the hate and interviewed some hippies. You new on the scene? I asked one young man. Examining my duds, he inquired. You from the fuzz? No, man, I replied. I'm a journalist from the overground press seeking truth. He grunted. I continued. I want to know why you came to San Francisco. Would you say you came here to protest the sterility of middle-class morality and the Puritan ethic that has become so inimical to the mental well-being of mid-1960s America? And if so, do you feel that total alienation is a viable stance vis-a-vis the military-industrial continuum? He looked at me for the first time. You crazy, he said. I came out here, like everybody else, to get high and get laid. (laughs) (laughs) That's priceless. You sure capture the times in your columns. 
I also like the way you often write about preserving the landscape of the city. And we all know you're against the war in Vietnam and a pro-labor. Guess I can't hide any of that from anyone. But enough about me. I love my job, but it's taken over my whole life, as my three ex-wives and my only child will tell you. Whereas you, you've had a career and you're also a devoted wife and mother. It hasn't been easy, but Fred's been a great help ever since graduate school. He knew I really wanted to go into the newspaper business. So, back to our assignment. Sam wants us to cover the 50th anniversary celebration of the Legion of Honor, starting November 11th. I'm going to write about the history of the museum and the event, and you're to get an interview with Florence Gould, one of the socialite guests who will be at the gala dinners on November 10th. He suggested I help you on it. Florence Gould? The philanthropist and art collector? I thought she lived in France. She does, but she's coming back to San Francisco because she's loaning seven paintings from her art collection to the museum in honor of its anniversary. Why do you stay back? It seems she was born in San Francisco, but she left at an early age. Really? That's interesting. Yeah, she's another San Francisco native, just like you. You might be interested in that angle. I'll also be curious to see what she's like. She sounds like quite a woman. Sam wants you to go for the human side, the real Florence Gould, if you know what I mean. Well, I don't know anything about her, so I'll have to start doing some research. I don't know much about her either, just that she's the widow of Frank J. Gould, the son of the infamous railroad magnate J. Gould. Remember how we used to learn in school about what unscrupulous characters those robber barons all were? Hey, I wonder if Mrs. Gould's millions come from her father-in-law's dirty money. Could be. I'll do some digging around. I've got some contacts in Paris who might help us find out more about her life over there. Met them when I was in France just after World War II writing press. Geez, I didn't know you did that. Yeah, worked for the U.S. Army Corps in England and France until 1946. Anyway, I'll see if I can get us both invitations to Dorothy Spreckle's dinner at the Legion on the night of the 10th. Mrs. Gould is the guest of honor. Then we can come back to the office afterwards and add the last bits about the dinner tour article before submitting it upstairs. It's running in the morning edition the next day. Sounds like a very late night. <laughs> oh, by the way, where's my interviewee staying? At the Fairmont, of course. Where else would a Gould be staying? <laughs> A few days later, I was called up to the hallowed sanctuary of the editor's office. My dream assignment was about to begin. Great write-up on the opening of the opera last night, Pat. (laughs) Thanks. How's it going on the Florence Gould story? Well, she's giving me an interview in the morning of the 10th, and I've read quite a bit about her in the press, even in the Chronicle. Millie Robbins wrote about her and Frank Gould back in 1966. I remember that article. I think it said she was born in San Francisco, but her parents were French immigrants. Um, Didn't it also say she was married to someone else before Frank Gould? Yes, uh, to the man called Henry Heyman, but they divorced after only five months. Florence met Frank Gould in Paris when she was singing at some charity event. She became his third wife, and the marriage lasted for 35 years until he died in 1956. 
I bet he left Florence a bundle. Something like a hundred million. <laughs> he gets. Um, <clears throat> listen, Pat, I don't know if he told you this or not. I wanted Irv to interview Mrs. Gould, but he insisted. He insisted that you do it. He said you're a very good reporter and that as a woman, you could make her open up more. I didn't know my doing the interview was Herb's idea. That's really nice of him. We're each going to write different parts of the article, and he's offered to try and find out about her life in France through his contacts over there. Good. Um, we're counting on you and Herb. Mrs. Gould is a very rich woman who's extremely influential, and we want the article on her visit to San Francisco to put her in the best possible light. And just so you know, your article will appear on the front page of the Chronicle on Armistice Day, the day the new exhibit opens at the Legion of Honor. Front page? Really? Wow. I never had an article of mine on the front page before. <laughs> well, don't screw up and maybe you'll have more. Sorry, uh, got to get back to work. Um, good luck. Thanks. Bye. Several days later, that is early on the morning of November 10th, just as I was getting ready to leave for the interview, Herb called me in with a significant piece of news. Hello? Pat, sorry to call you so early at home. Yeah, that's what I thought. Wanted to catch you before you left for the Fairmount. Listen, one of my French journalist friends called me yesterday, and he's going to send me a long telegram with details that I should receive sometime today. It seems stories have been circulating for years in France about Florence Gould. There's something going on with her that hasn't been told over here in the U.S., so I really think you should do some digging during the interview. Try to get her to talk about World War II in Paris, her literary salons, and who attended them. Also, try to find out about how she procured some of her art masterpieces. You might also ask about Franks and her investing in Aerobank. It was a bank set up in Monaco that did money laundering for the Nazis. Seems J. Edgar Hoover wanted to go after her for treason. Yeah, I agree. Quite a shock. I know it might be difficult to get her to open up, but try, okay? That's why you and I went into journalism, isn't it? Sure. Good luck. And see you back in the office later today. Later that morning, I was sitting in Florence Gould's suite at the Fairmont Hotel in San Francisco. Ah, delicious. California champagne is not at all bad. I've been waiting for this all morning. Now, let's not let this bottle go to waste. Will you join me? No, thank you. I'd love to, but not on the job. It makes me very sleepy. So, Mrs. Gould, thank you very much for letting the Chronicle interview you. 
I know there were many other papers that wanted to do so. To tell the truth, I don't really like giving interviews, especially when they get intrusive. And I don't usually trust journalists. But my father, who was a newspaper man himself, always spoke very highly of the Chronicle. He was the editor of the Le Franco-Californian, San Francisco's French language paper, wasn't he? <laughs> You've done your homework. Oh, poor papa. The presses of the Franco-Californian were destroyed in the fire and earthquake of 1906. Luckily, he went on and did other things. Is that why you left San Francisco? My father stayed here and took care of my grandmother's properties and his own business affairs. But my grandmother and mother took me and my sister back to Paris. They didn't think San Francisco was safe anymore. Poor father. I only saw him once again in Paris in 1908. He died all alone three years later in California. That's sad. I'm sorry. You said before that this is your second time you've come back to San Francisco since you left in 1906. What was the first? Oh, that's a long story. I came back to the city in 1916 with Henry Heinemann, my first husband. He was from San Francisco, too. But we got married in Paris, then went back to California. We were only married for five months. I returned to Paris in 1917 after our divorce was finalized because I wanted to train to be an opera singer. But in 1917, wasn't that dangerous with the war going on and everything? Oh, yes, it was. But I made it. And after I got back, instead of singing, I volunteered as a nurse and was sent to work in a hospital in Limoges. What was that like? Oh, pretty gruesome. I saw a lot of injured Paul. Pardon my ignorance. I don't know that word. Well, oh, they were the French infantrymen. Poor means hairy, and the soldiers were called that because they had beards and moustaches. Hmm, interesting. Anyway, a lot of them got injured and developed gangrene, so then they had to have their arms or legs amputated. Oh, that was really hard to see. Many of them were suffering from shell shock, too. So sad. Oh, it was. And was it after the armistice that you met Mr. Gould? Yes, yes, we met in 1921. <laughs> I usually say it was at a charity gala he was attending, but the truth is that it was when I was singing at the Folie Bergère. After we got married, we had a place in Paris, but most of the time we lived in southern France on the Riviera. Frank helped develop the Joie de la Pierre, he owned a casino and several hotels and restaurants, and we had two homes down there. My favorite is La Patio in Paris, in Cannes, and that's where I still live when I'm not in Paris at my suite at the Hotel Maurice. I read you had a robbery at La Patio. Oh, yes, it was horrible. They took some of my favorite jewels and tied up my poor maid, Elsa. Then they called me and asked me to pay a ransom, which, of course, I didn't do. The bloody crooks were never found. I bet they were in on it with the police. What makes you say that? 
Oh, I know how the police function down there. They're all mafioso, easy to corrupt. Anyway, let's change the subject. Now, are you sure you won't join me and have some champagne? Yes, I'm sure, but thanks. Suit yourself. But before we go any further with this interview, I like to get to know people. Tell me a bit about yourself. There isn't much to tell, Mrs. Gould. Please call me Florence. Of course. And my name's Pat. I always wanted to be a reporter, so I studied telecommunications at Stanford and USC. I'm married and have two sons. Oh, you're so lucky to have children, Pat. Frank and I were never so blessed. He had twin daughters by his first wife, though. Bloody bitches. Oh, pardon my French. These furry Pekingese babies have been my children all these years. They're adorable. Now, getting back to our interview, Mrs. Gould, I mean Florence, I know you lived in Paris during World War II. Could you speak a little more about that, please? Why? Just curious. It must have been difficult living under the Nazis during the occupation. Ah, you journalists always looking for a scoop. A a scoop? Not really. It was a long time ago. Uh, Didn't you host some sort of literary salon? You bet I did. It was called Chez Florence, and it was always on Thursdays. I had them at the Hotel Bristol, then at the apartment I rented on Avenue Malakoff, and afterwards at the Hotel Maurice, when I moved there, after Frank died. I stopped hosting them when I moved back to my house in Cannes a few years ago. What would you do at your salon? Oh, we'd have lunch and talk about books and writing. A lot of famous people used to come, not only writers, but artists and entertainers too. Even during the war? Well, of course. Lots of French artists continued to perform and playwrights and other writers continued to write. I'm wondering if any of your guests were German writers too. I thought you might ask me that. Yes, there were a few. Gerhard Heller and Ernst Junger were among them. And I suppose there were also some Some who today you'd probably call French collaborators, but they were moderate ones. I'm pretty sure there were secret resistance among my guests, too. In addition to the discussions, people used to like to come for the food I served. Wasn't there rationing at the time? I suppose so, but not at the Bristol. We had an arrangement. And what about your art collection? People say it's one of the best private collections of Impressionist art in the world. Well, that may be true. I also collect jewellery, china, and first edition books. My art collection contains many very fine pieces. I have the Wildensteins to thank for that. Georges advised me on how to collect art, and his son Daniel helped me to acquire most of my paintings. Daniel Wildenstein. I vaguely remember hearing that he's been involved in some scandals. Rumours. Just rumours. Don't believe everything you hear, Pat. None of my art pieces were looted by the Nazis. Daniel is a close friend. 
He'll be at the dinner tonight. Another rumor I heard was about your investing in a bank called the Aerobank. That's enough. I don't want to continue this conversation any further. Besides, it's getting late and I'm expecting my hairdresser. Now, <laughs> where's that bottle? Ah, yes, yes, yes. Here it is. Cheers. Please be so kind as to show yourself out. Of course, Florence and Mrs. Gould. Thank you for the interview. Goodbye. Goodbye. After the interview, I met with Herb in the diner across the street from the Chronicle. Thankfully, it wasn't too busy. So, how did it go with Mrs. Gould? Not so great. It started out well, but then she clammed up a bit and got all nasty. She came across in the beginning as quite charming. She asked about who I was, was worried about her maid being tied up after a robbery, and answered my questions and kept patting her little dogs. Boy, does she like her champagne, though. Yes, apparently so. Seems her looks have gone because of all the drinking. Well, she is a bit overweight, and she wears sunglasses all the time, probably to hide the bags under her eyes. Hey, did you know Mr. Gould was her second husband? I read that somewhere during my research. My French contact told me she probably only married her husband in order to get back her American citizenship and to lay hands on her father's and her grandmother's assets and properties. What? She didn't tell me that. I'm sure she didn't tell you a lot of other things, too. Did she talk about her literary salons? Yes, she did. She told me she hosted some very famous writers, artists, and entertainers. Including Germans and French collaborators. But I guess she didn't tell you that. She did, actually. What she probably didn't tell you was that a lot of them were her lovers. Including some of her female guests. Seems she and Frank Gould slept around a lot and would talk about their conquests over the breakfast table. Apparently, <laughs> Florence was quite the nymphomaniac. You gads. How did you find out about all of this? From my French journalist friend in Paris. It seems a lot of stories about Mrs. Gould have been floating around in certain circles for decades, and he's documented them over the years. He also has contacts in the right places who gave him some more recent information. Gosh, you've got me very curious. What else did you learn? Seems some of her lovers were Nazis, including Paris's Gestapo commander and the leader of the SS and the police. Another one of her lovers was Karl Ludwig Vogel, a Luftwaffe officer who was a high-class black marketeer during the war. He provided her with coal, food, and enough gasoline to make car trips down to southern France. Incredible. Exactly. Seems at one point he even convinced her to join a Nazi money laundering scheme and to front a bank in Monaco that would provide a safe haven for funds that Nazi fugitives could use after the war was over. Was that the Aerobank you mentioned on the phone? I, I tried to ask her. Yep, it was. Later, in 1945, U.S. authorities froze the assets of the bank, and they began investigating her for treason. Her excuse was that she only went along with Vogel's plan because the Nazis had threatened to send her husband to the camps. Apparently because the name Gould sounded Jewish. Herb, what you're saying is so... And get this. 
my friend also discovered that Florence and a friend of hers set up a type of call girl network for the Nazis. That can't be true. It is. Hang on, I haven't finished. After the war was over, the French locked her up and started interrogating her about her activities. But I guess money and influence talk because she only spent one night in jail and the charges against her were later dropped. Amazing. And get this, to excuse her, one journalist wrote, Mrs. Gould seems to have lacked discernement, discernment during the war and in her choice of lovers. Lack of discernment, to say the least. What a complex woman she seems to be. At first she seemed so charming too, but I sensed something wasn't right when she stopped answering certain of my questions. Apparently she's always known how to pull wool over people's eyes and to get herself out of entanglements. She could probably tell you were getting down to the truth. Thank God your friend in Paris told us all this. Yeah. Hey, just thought of something. Pardon the pun, but our Mrs. Gould seems to be rather ghoulish. <laughs> Gould, ghoulish, clever. And what did you find out about her art collection? The art dealer, Daniel Wildenstein, helped her build up her collection. Rumor has it that during the war, George Wildenstein, his father, collaborated with the Nazis, even though he was Jewish, and that Florence acquired works that had been looted from Jewish collectors. She sort of alluded to that as a rumor. I'm Jewish, you know, and finding out that about her and Wildenstein on top of everything else made me even more disgusted. It's terrible. Not only collaborating, but also... And believe it or not, Daniel Wildenstein is one of the other guests of honor tonight at Dorothy Spreckle's dinner at the Legion of Honor. Yeah, she told me he was. I wonder if the Legion knows about all of this. I doubt it. Or if they do, they're hushing it up. Florence Gould is lending the museum some priceless paintings, so of course they're not going to upset the apple cart. I guess not. By the way, Mrs. Gould also told me she collects China, first edition books, and jewelry. I didn't know about the China and books, but I read her jewelry collection is worth millions. In addition to a whole lot of other jewels, she owns the victory ring that has a diamond practically as big as the Ritz and a necklace with a sapphire pendant weighing 114 carats. Wow. She was just wearing a strand of pearls when I interviewed her. It seems pearls are her trademark, so to speak. She keeps her jewelry collection at home, and that's probably why there have been several spectacular robberies at her villas on the French Riviera. You'd think someone as rich as her would have security guards protecting her house. How do you think we should go about writing the article? I've already written up the bit about the history of the museum and the 50th anniversary celebration of the Legion. Why don't we combine what you learned in your interview with Mrs. Gould and what I was told by my contact in Paris and write the middle part of the article together? Then later tonight, we can add the description of the dinner. Sounds like a good idea. Okay, let's go back to the office. I suggest we both dictate our sentences and you type. It'll go much faster that way. I still pick and poke on my old royal. Never learned to touch type. We can copy edit afterwards. Sure, that'll be fine. Let's go. We wrote the middle part of our article that afternoon. Then, much later that evening, we went back to the office. Rather, the work was for wear. That was quite a party, wasn't it? 
I had so much champagne, I could hardly think straight. <laughs> yes. Lucky we wrote most of the article this afternoon. <laughs> okay. All ready to type. But I've been thinking. I'm beginning to have doubts about how much of the stuff we learned about Mrs. Gould we should put in. I mean, the Legion, Mrs. Gould, even Sam will probably be furious with us. I'm afraid Sam might even fire me. No, he won't. I won't let him do that. Come on, we're journalists. But we're implying she was a collaborator during the war and a Nazi money launderer? Those are pretty serious accusations. I know they are, but they're the truth. Still, my assignment was to put her in a good light. And she is lending all those masterpieces to the Legion. I think we should at least take out the part about her setting up a call girl network for the Nazis. Most readers of the Chronicle are pretty puritanical, and they won't want to read that. In fact, it might even backfire against us. We could be accused of sensationalism, especially as it was never really proven. Okay, we don't have to put that part in, but I want to keep where we talk about her activities during the war. Well, if you think so. Okay, why don't you dictate the introduction about the dinner and I'll type. Thanks, but don't hesitate to chime in if you want to add anything. The California Palace of the Legion of Honor shone tonight, with floodlights glowing, flags fluttering, limousines purring, and wine flowing. I like all the ings. Brings it to life. Thanks. Wine flowing. The Legion of Honor is 50 years old tomorrow. Armistice Day. And Dorothy Spreckles Munn was giving an elegant dinner for... How many people did they tell us were invited? 150. An elegant dinner for 150 people in honor of their distinguished guest, Mrs. Frank J. Gould who arrived yesterday from France. Mrs. Gould, a great patroness of the arts, is lending, is lending the palace seven masterpieces from her remarkable art collection. How's that? Sounds fine to me. Mrs. Gould was born in San Francisco, but is of French heritage. And then we'll go on from there with what we've already written about. That should do it, don't you think? Yeah, that should be okay. Here you go. Thanks. Let's take it upstairs together, okay? Okay. You lead. Early next morning, we were drinking champagne at the Novella Cocktail Bar down the street from the Chronicle.
Here, have some more champagne. <laughs> oh, I really shouldn't. What will Fred say when I get back? It's two in the morning. <laughs> Probably the same thing Anne will say to me. But what the hell? We certainly need a pick-me-up after what happened. I still can't believe what Sam did to our article, especially to the part we wrote about Mrs. Gould's past. He really went to town editing. Editing? I don't call what he did editing. It's censorship. Whitewashing. He took out all the bits about what she did during the war. I know it was 30 years ago, and she's now a philanthropist, but still. It shows things haven't changed. Just because she's wealthy and will undoubtedly be making gifts to the city, the Chronicle doesn't want to reveal the truth to San Francisco society about who Florence Gould really is. Like always, money seems to buy silence in this city. Probably elsewhere, too. But I'm sure it'll all come out someday. It has to. Yeah, it sure does. I'm glad we wrote the truth, but after this, Sam will probably never run any of my other articles on the front page again. And he might not even let me keep my society column. Don't worry. He'll have me to deal with if he ever does that to you. I still have Cloud with Chronicle. Thanks, Herb. You did the right thing. We did the right thing. Let's drink to that. To collaboration. <laughs> to collaboration. You have been listening to Champagne Collecting and Collaboration, an audio drama based on true events by Hilary Kaiser, produced by Brianda Cross, who also played Florence Gould. The editor of the San Francisco Chronicle, Sam, was played by John Romano, while journalist Pat was played by Kirsten Daniels, and senior journalist Herb was played by Alan Wagner. Matthew Vinell played Marcel, the French waiter. If you have enjoyed this story, you may like to go to our website, Fast Fiction Podcasts, and find out a little more about the actors. Thank you.